0: We continue our series today on Love Letter from God. I would ask you to stand this morning as we read our uh, passage today from Nahum. We're going to also read John 3.16, but our key, our text this morning is from Nahum. We're going to read all of Nahum 1, so if you need to sit down as we go through these 15 verses, you can. But I am asking us to stand so that we can... Uh, so that we can hear it together. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Nahum 1, a prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elphishite. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Basham and Carmel wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news and who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. Do any of you remember Karnak the Magnificent? Uh, He was on Johnny Carson. I don't remember him personally, per se, but I have heard of him. Johnny Carson would dress up in a crazy costume and sort of make fun of psychics. Psychics generally are not real anyway. They make a living by predicting the future usually the good ones are able to stand in a room of 50 or 60 people and do what my husband has taught me, is called a cold read. They, Meaning they can get you to tell them enough about yourselves to give you back that information in a way that makes it seem like they know it when really they are just guessing and you're confirming what they guessed correctly. Anyone here have an aunt? Uh, I'm hearing from Aunt uh, Jane. No. Jessie, no, Julie. Aunt Julie. And someone will gasp because they have an Aunt Julie, and the psychic will go and guess more things about Aunt Julie. Well, today, as we read about Nahum, I started getting that picture in my mind of a psychic telling you something that is based on intuition and a reading of the circumstances, but it makes you feel better if you want it to. Because Nahum isn't guessing about what is going to happen to Nineveh and Assyria. He's getting his oracles and his prophecies from about them from God. But the intention is not so much a warning for Nineveh and Assyria as much as it is to help comfort the ones who are hearing it. Nineveh and Assyria are never going to hear this prophecy. But Judah is going to hear it. And The message is this. God doesn't care for for injustice. God does not allow injustice to continue forever. God insists on getting rid of injustice, even if it means getting rid of an entire nation. Even if those nations are big and powerful and mighty, they will eventually no longer be so because they will be destroyed by others. It is only a matter of time. And in this case, God has sent prophets to Nineveh before. Remember Jonah? We were all here for that, right? But that was 200 years before Nahum. And now Nineveh, has essentially dispersed the northern kingdom of Israel into oblivion. The remaining southern kingdom of Judah is quaking in fear over the possibility that the Assyrians will come for them too. They will, of course, eventually be destroyed and captured and held in Babylon, but they will ultimately return. You remember some of those stories we've talked about already in the series. Ezra and Nehemiah and Daniel were people who were part of that captivity, who have been returned. Part of the part of the story of Ezra and Nehemiah is rebuilding the temple. All of those things have already happened in the series, but Nahum predates them and he's telling them that Nineveh is not going to be their problem. And God wants them to know. Overall, that it is not okay for a nation to be oppressive and abusive and horrible to everyone around them. Eventually, a nation like that will come to a not-so-great end. It might seem like a prophecy such as this has no bearing on us. But although we are not a great nation, it ties in quite a bit to our message last week. Remember? Act justly. Walk humbly. Love mercy. Right? From Micah. We talked about it. Well, act justly is one of the things that God requires of us. That's because it is in God's very character to demand justice. God's justice requires righteousness. God's justice insists that the poor and the widow and the orphan are cared for. God's justice asks us to wait on God for retribution. We don't have to punish our enemies. In God's time, they will see the results of their actions. Instead, God's justice says, Be kind to those who are against you. Love those whom you would fear and stand firm, because God will fight for you. God has promised to Judah that the good news of God's justice is coming for them, and they do not have to wait long to see it develop in Nineveh. God is already watching the world powers of the day align to make the prophetic true in their time, and God is already protecting the people of Judah. And God's justice also has something to say about how we treat others, about how we judge others. In Matthew chapter 7, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us exactly how God feels about us meeting out justice. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God is actually pretty good at this justice thing. It's part of who God is. And we know that God's judgment always comes with this caveat. If you repent, if you believe, if you turn from what you are doing, mercy triumphs over judge, judgment. God will forgive. God will offer grace. It is because God loves the whole world that judgment is reserved for him. God's ability to see into the hearts and minds, to see the whole of circumstance, to know all of the parts and pieces to every person's actions. That is why God reserves justice for himself. God is the only one who can be just. God is the only one who knows the truth of every situation and circumstance. So God gives us pretty clear instructions that our justice is not to be God's justice. Rather, our justice comes when we are fair and reasonable and kind and thoughtful, not just to those we care most about, but to everyone we encounter. We should try to put ourselves in another's shoes and think compassionately, even about those we do not agree with. Acting justly for us is most often going to look like standing with those who are treated unjustly rather than enacting any kind of specific justice for them. So maybe you have a friend who's been laid off from work. You're not going to go in and destroy their workplace. Instead, your act of justice may be buying them groceries. Maybe someone has been mistreated at school or work. There's a bully, someone that is mean to them. You can stand with them, commiserate, hear what they have to say when they're talking about someone who is hurting them. Maybe someone is struggling with depression. You can walk with them to fight the darkness that threatens to overpower them. Maybe someone is sick you can walk with them to fight their illness or disease the reality is is that there is injustice in this world false accusations false imprisonments mistreatment by governments and authorities sometimes people are hurt and it's not fair it's not right Sometimes there is racism or sexism that needs to be confronted from a systemic perspective. Sometimes there are places where we can see cruelty and hardship that needs a strong voice to rise against. A couple of weeks ago in New Zealand, armed gunmen shot up a mosque and killed many people just because they disagreed with them. Christian justice demands that we not stay quiet about these things. In some places, churches have written letters to their local mosque and offered protection to them. In some places, Christians have gathered around their Muslim neighbors to protect them while they pray. You see, God asks us to be unjust, whatever that, or to be just, whatever that looks like in a world that is often unjust. God asks us to discount injustices done to us in this world because our kingdom responsibilities offer us the opportunity to be just even when the other is not. God is a just God, and he asks that we respond justly in every circumstance and every moment because God loves the world. God wants us to be justice to those around us. This is not an easy thing. This is not a thing done without great discipline. And we don't always get it right. We don't always follow through. But if we have trusted Jesus with our lives, we can trust Jesus to build in us not only the desire for justice, but the ability to create it and live it and offer it wherever we can. Justice doesn't start with us. It starts with the God who made us. For whom justice is a part of who he is and how he loves. So, as we have been doing every week in this series, I'll ask you to pull out your blue sheet from your bulletin. And we're going to read what it means to say God loves, God loves you, God. to create us, to form us from the dust, God loves you, God. to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. God loves you. To provide a rescue, a way back through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. God loves us to show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. God God loves us to show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up, and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. God loves us enough. To send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. To To see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. To To raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. to To want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, Redeemed, free, loved. God loves us to still let us choose our own destiny. God loves us to promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. God so loved the world it means God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. And God's love is expressed to us every week most tangibly as we gather at this table. The Son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread, know you are loved. God loves you. Go love the world with him.